communion of the saints. Um, As we read from the confession, it affirms that biblical truth that by nature of our union and communion with Jesus, that we have been brought into a family and we have union and communion with one another. And we'll be thinking about it, and I think it's an important topic in this day and age where we live in this age of Christian individualism, where I think that the doctrine of the communion of the saints has been subtly lost and and maybe even denied, where Christianity today is thought of something as it's, it's an individual thing. It's me and Jesus. But the Bible teaches that the Lord redeemed for himself a people. And so I want to look at Psalm 133 today and think about uh, this imagery that is presented here that puts before us what, what is the communion of the saints. And we'll first think about the metaphors that appear here in Psalm 133. There's two of them. It's like the precious oil and it's like the dew of Hermon. And as I was reviewing my sermon this morning, um, I realized this is not a metaphor but a simile, but I think you'll forgive me for that. But, but let's, let's think about these, these metaphors for the communion of the saints, the precious oil. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron running down on the edge of his garment. Now that has in mind that holy anointing oil that consecrated Aaron as priest. The anointing oil was symbolic of the the spirit uh, anointing the priest for his calling. And you'll notice here that our fellowship, our unity is said to be like this oil. And this is not some some abstract metaphor. We read from Exodus 30 and we saw that that recipe is given. We have the details of that oil. Um, It might be helpful for you to turn back there to, to the book of Exodus, that passage we read from Exodus 30. I think this this gives us insight to how precious the unity that we share in Christ is. I want us to think about, there's five, I think, five characteristics we can glean um, from this oil. And the first thing that we should notice, it's it's a very costly recipe. As you read through it, it, you'll notice it's something of very good quality. Those, all of these things we read of here would have been foreign, exotic spices. This was not a recipe that was easy or cheap to make. And this costly oil reminds us that the union that we enjoy with one another is also indeed costly. So costly, it was bought and paid for with the blood of Jesus Christ. And our unity and our fellowship, I think likewise, is also foreign and exotic. In other words, it's not earthly. Like this oil that came down on Aaron's head, we should think of our fellowship, our communion, as something that comes down from heaven. We have been bought with 
a price. We are a blood-bought people. And that means the unity that we enjoy in Jesus Christ did not come cheap. It was costly. Christ took on flesh and died and shed his blood as the sin-bearing lamb to secure the unity that we enjoy. So it's costly. But secondly, we see this is a very particular recipe. Uh, there's specific amounts of specific ingredients. And you'll notice it was to be compounded by a skilled perfumer. It's a careful and deliberate recipe chosen by God himself. And this reminds us of the careful and deliberate work of Christ for us. It reminds us that Christ died for a specific, particular people. That his atonement was a particular atonement. That from eternity, Christ knew whom he would die for, whom he would save, and to whom he would grant this great blessing of unity. But then it's also underlined that in addition to it being costly, in particular, that it's, it's a holy oil. Look at verses 31 and 32. Uh, this shall be my holy anointing oil. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. It's a holy oil. It, it wasn't to be counterfeited. It wasn't to be used for any other purpose. Well, in the Bible, that, that word holy can refer to moral purity, but it can also refer to the idea of being separate or different. And that's what our fellowship is like. It is pure because Christ has made it. Uh, to use the words of Psalm 133, it is good and it is pleasant. But it's also separate. It's also different. It's not something that can be counterfeited by the real world. You'll notice the, the warning here. Whoever compounds any like it, whoever counterfeits it, shall be cut off. This is a reminder that true unity has to be based in the real thing. It has to be based in Christ and his holy word, and anything else is a counterfeit. When the church tries to have unity apart from Christ and his word, it's not the real thing. It's a counterfeit. And likewise, and I think we're seeing this more and more in our day, when, when human organizations try to imitate this spiritual unity, what are they doing? They're trying to counterfeit the blood-bought unity of the church. I, I read an article that was entitled, uh, Your Coworkers Are Not Your Family, because there's this move in the corporate world to, to make organizations, corporations, like the church. They say, we're all, we're all family here. That They're trying to counterfeit what the church has in Jesus Christ. So it's a costly recipe, it's particular, it's holy, but you'll notice also it's abundant. There was a lot of this oil. When you add up the weight of, of this 
concoction, it would have come out to about 50 pounds of oil. It's a lot of oil. Now, some of it was used to anoint the, the, the tabernacle and the various furnishings, but it's clear a lot of it was poured right on Aaron's head. It, the imagery of Psalm 133, this oil is running down all over Aaron, down to the edge of his, his garments. It, there's a lot of it. It's abundant. And that reminds us that our blessed communion in Christ is abundant. There's a lot of it. There's no shortage of it. In fact, it's a worldwide communion. It, it's striking to think about the fact that we have brothers and sisters in Christ across this globe whom we've never met, who maybe we won't meet in this life. It's abundant. It's a worldwide unity. One writer said, we are led to understand that the peace and unity which springs from Christ as the head is diffused through the whole length and breadth of the church. Well, it's abundant, but it's also sweet smelling. We read of liquid myrrh, half as much sweet smelling cinnamon and sweet smelling cane. This was something that smelled very good. And when Aaron was anointed with this oil, everyone in the camp would get to smell it. He was covered in this sweet-smelling oil, and everyone, in a way, got to share in that sweet aroma. We know that Aaron was just a type and a shadow. That Jesus is the true priest who was anointed not with oil, but with the Spirit above measure. In fact, I think many of you know this, the very term Christ means anointed one. And in the New Testament, Paul says that we literally share in the aroma of Christ's anointing. In 2 Corinthians 2.15, he writes, For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing, to one a fragrance from death to death, to the other a fragrance from life to life. Friends, our union and communion with each other is, it's a heavenly recipe. We thought about this, that this little group, we are here as God's heavenly recipe. He, he's placed us together as a congregation of his saints. And we are, we're like that oil. We're like that oil that was poured out on Aaron's head. But then there's this more obscure metaphor of the dew of Mount Hermon. Our, our communion with one another is said to be like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion. Now, dew was sustaining. It, it watered, it fed the land. And in fact, the same Hebrew word is used for rain in other places. Moisture and water became a symbol of the blessing and provision of God. And here, 
our unity is, is said to be sustaining. In other words, it, our unity comes down from God, but our unity with one another helps sustain us as his people. And you'll notice that with both of these metaphors, the, re, the recurring word down, they, these things come down. The, the oil comes down on Aaron's head. It runs down on his beard, down on his garments. The dew comes down on Mount Zion. It speaks again to the heavenly nature of this blessing of unity. These metaphors remind us of the great blessing that we have, that because we are united to Christ by faith, we are united to one another. And because it is so precious, it's something that we need to, as Psalm 133 says, behold, in other words, we need to look at it, we need to appreciate it, we need to cherish it, but we also need to guard it. And so let's think lastly and briefly about beholding, cherishing, and guarding the communion of the saints. How do we guard this precious gift? Well, first of all, we need to remember the price that was paid for this unity. Friends, any disunity in the church can be traced to one thing, forgetting the price that was paid for it, losing sight of the cross of Jesus Christ, forgetting that Christ humbled himself and gave his life that we might experience this great blessing. And when we're tempted to grumble against our brothers and sisters, we need to ask ourselves, was the Son of God, was the blessed Savior crucified outside the city naked and alone so we can undermine the unity that he bled for? We need to remember the cross. We were all bought with a price. Our unity was bought with a price. We need to remember that we are a family that is destined to endure through eternity. We also need to remember God's mercy and grace towards us as individuals. Remember what Jesus says, he who is forgiven much loves much. You see, when we remember the mercy and grace that Jesus showed to us, when we remember how great a sinner we are, we remember how much we have been forgiven. The one who knows the depths of the mercy and grace of Christ will be eager to show that same grace and mercy towards brothers and sisters. But thirdly, we need to actively pray for peace and unity. We need to pray for peace and unity in our own congregation, but for the church as a whole. 
we're called to do this in Psalm 122. We're called to intercede and pray for the peace of the church. It begins with us as individuals. We need to pray that the Lord would keep us from a hard heart, from grudges, from divisiveness, from a critical spirit. And we need to remember that we, we live in a culture that loves criticism, that is, that is approved of being critical. That can't be said of us. We need to learn to hate strife and divisions. And sadly, many of us here can testify to how quickly factions and divisions can destroy a church. Pray against them. And friends, if necessary, act against them. Very often what happens when, when disunity, when seeds of disunity are sowed in the church, the pastor and the elders are not the first ones to hear about it. It starts among the congregation, and, and I think we need to have the courage to speak the truth in love. To say to people, are you really contending for the truth, or are you contending for your own opinion? Fourthly and finally, we need to understand the enemy's tactics. This seems to be Satan's favorite mode of attack. He knows a, a house divided cannot stand. We need to remember that grudges and disunity, these things are satanic. The devil and his children hate peace and unity. We need to be wise to his tactics. We need to catch ourselves and say, am I, am I sowing division? Am, am I harboring a grudge that could bleed over into the church and disrupt the peace and unity of the church? We need to guard our hearts in this regard. And I want to leave you with some of the warnings and encouragements when it comes to maintaining the bond of peace. In Proverbs 6, we read that there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are an abomination to him, and one of them is one who sows discord among brothers. In Philippians 2, we're given this encouragement. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy... Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. We read from Ephesians 4, where we are urged to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. And, and Paul underlines that there is one body, one Spirit. That there is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It's remarkable that in Philippians 4, 
Paul goes all the way, he goes as far as to address two women in the congregation who were having a disagreement. He, he says, I implore Yodia and I implore Syntyche to agree in the Lord. I think sometimes we lose the force of this. That, that Philippians would have been read like a sermon in a church. And can you imagine being one of those women? You know, I employ Mary and I employ Janine. Quit fighting. They're not fighting. I'm just. But this, I think, underlines how important it is to maintain this unity and bond of peace. And it brings us back to really the first word of Psalm 133, which is the word behold. And I think often we can dismiss that as kind of a like an old King James word, but it's it's an important biblical word. It means look at this. Look at it. Take it in. Appreciate it. Remember that the Lord has created it. It's good. It's pleasant. It's not perfect. But it's good. And it's pleasant. In this world, we are imperfect sinners and will enjoy imperfect unity. And yet the Lord still calls it good and pleasant. This is what the Lord wants us to cherish and to guard. He wants us to behold how good and how pleasant it is. He wants us to look forward to that day when our unity is perfected in heaven. When this costly unity becomes an eternal unity bought and paid for by the blood of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we pray that we would heed your command. We would seek to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Lord, may we fix our eyes upon the one who bought us but with his blood, the one who created this unity, Lord. May we cherish it and guard it. Lord, we pray for your church. We intercede and we pray for the peace and unity of your church across the world. Lord, we mourn over the fact that the church is so divided, that there are so many denominations. Lord, unite us in Christ. We pray that it might be for his glory. Amen.